All right. Are you ready for this morning? I, I, I've actually really enjoyed this series. Um, I can't even remember what the first week was about, and I preached it. But I know the second week was about God confidence, having a God confidence. How many people know you don't want to have confidence in yourself? You don't want self-confidence. You want a God confidence. Why? Because the Bible says this, that our heart is deceitful above all things. So why would we put our confidence in our hearts when we can put our confidence in our God, yes? And when we put our confidence in our God, then any circumstance or situation that we come across, we know that it can be overcome because our confidence is in His ability, not in our ability. Come on. Yes? Get some amens this morning. It's my birthday today, so you better give me some amens. All right. And then last week, you had the beautiful Maddie talk about Encouragement, yeah? How many people were here last week and enjoyed her? How many people would prefer her to be up here right now than me? All right, cool. I'm Maddie, here's my notes. It's all yours. All right. And this, today I want to talk about something that I think, if we're really honest with ourselves, we've all at times in our lives had times where we've found ourselves really, really close to God. We felt really, really close to Him. Like His voice is like we just hear it, we sense it, we feel it. It's like he's in the same room with us. Everywhere we go, we, we sense his presence. It's like our prayers are answered immediately. We're, we've all had times in our lives where, where you know, we start reading his word, we start reading the Bible, and everything starts jumping off the page, and you're like, man, this is awesome, this is amazing. We've all had times in our lives where that has happened, and we felt like God was speaking directly to us, and, we, and we're going along in life, and, and everything seems to be going so well, and then somehow, somewhere along the way, that starts to change, and we feel like we've lost a part of that spiritual passion or enthusiasm for the things of God. All of a sudden, words aren't jumping off the pages anymore. You're struggling to keep your eyelids open as you read. It feels like God is absent when he's always felt so present. It's like we've lost some enthusiasm along the way for the things of God, or we've lost some spiritual intimacy somewhere along the way. And we find ourselves a little less enthusiastic about the things of God. We find ourselves a little less enthusiastic about what we believe about God, about our prayer life, our worship life, reading his word, all those things. And We've lost a little bit of what we once were. And I'm here to say this morning that if, if you're like that, if you're somebody who's sitting here and you've lost a little bit of your passion for the things of God or enthusiasm for the things of God, then this message is for you. And I'm believing that it's going to help you because there are two types of people in the world. I know to turn around and put people into two categories is quite a big call, so don't come up to me afterwards and go, actually, I think there's like three or four. This is just a message, okay? I'm not trying to be scientifically correct, but from what I've seen pastoring, there's two types of people in the world, people who let their circumstances influence their enthusiasm or people who let their enthusiasm influence their circumstances. There's people who allow what's happening around them to influence their mood, their attitudes, their emotions, or there are people around that let what's in them, their enthusiasm for the things of God, to influence the circumstances around them. They let, those that let the circumstances influence them are, are people that let whatever is happening around them determine their mood, their posture, their perspective, or else there's those who let what's going on on the inside of them influence the climate around them. And, and I don't want to belittle some of the things that you're going through, but I do want to put some of the things that you're going through into perspective this morning. Because I think too many of us, we live a life where everything that happens around us, it could be a bad drive to work, 
sets the mood for the rest of your day. It could be that you get up in the morning and there's no milk for your cup of tea. And it sets you in a bad mood. Can I tell you, if God sets it up that there's not enough milk for you to have a cup of tea in the morning, that's not a curse, that's a blessing from Jesus. <laughs> a cup of tea in the morning will always put you in a bad mood. I'm just joking. All right. But we can allow the circumstances to completely rule our lives. And I just want to put this into perspective for you because the Bible says this, that our lives are this. That's it. The life that you live is that. That's it. It's what it calls a vapor. All that stuff that you're going through, that you're allowing to determine your mood, your posture, how you react, how you respond, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children, how you treat your friends, how you treat your parents, all that stuff is this. And here's the crazy thing about that, is that mist, that vapor, what you do in it, sets you up for all of eternity. And when we live lives where we just let what's happening around us determine our enthusiasm or determine how we feel or determine our mood. We don't have an eye on our eternity. We have an eye on the here and now. And I don't want to belittle anything that people are going through. Some people are going through horrific stuff. And I'm not talking about major, major trauma that people are going through because that's huge. And, and I'm praying that if you haven't had counseling, you'll get some. And if you need counseling, come and talk to us. And, and we're praying and believing that God would bring a restoration to you. But, but, you know, when you're getting upset because, you know, the car got a flat tire and that's, that's dictating your mood for the rest of the day, which causes you to go home and fight with your spouse because, I don't know, flat tire, can we put that into perspective of eternity? Can we? Can we actually put that in perspective of the person that got raped last night? Because that's a little bit more serious than your flat tire. Are you with me today? Yeah. This, is, this is one of these ouchy messages, I'm sorry. But uh, you'll be okay. You see, we've got to make sure that our enthusiasm is not affected by the climate around us because the word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, in and theos. In and theos. In means in. That's why last week when Madison was talking about encouragement, it's that we put courage into people. It's encouragement. It's we put courage in, yes? When we when we tell people, hey, you look fantastic today. Pete, you're the most amazing person I've met um, in the last 30 seconds. Uh, you know, it puts courage into them, yes? It puts courage in. And so the word enthusiasm comes from the word in theos. The word theos means God. That's where we get the word theology. Theology means the study of God. It comes from the word theos. So enthusiasm is in theos. It literally means in God. And the reason why we lose enthusiasm is because we put it in happenings, in circumstances, in things going the way that I want them to, in the conversation I had, enthusiasm can't be broken when it's in God. Are you, are, you, are you listening to me today? Come on, this is encouraging. It's good. Spiritual enthusiasm is not a product of your environment. It's actually a posture of your heart. It's, it's, it's your heart towards him. When we lose enthusiasm, it's because our heart goes towards our circumstances. Enthusiasm is a heart towards him. It's in him. It's a heart towards him. And when our heart is towards him, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because our enthusiasm is in him. That's why the Bible says things like the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? Because it's in him, not our circumstance. It's born in the presence of God by the power of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this. It says, but thank God 
who gives us victory over sin and death for our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great statement? Thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can just stop there and go home because that's enough, yes? So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. How can we be strong and immovable? Because we understand, thank God that he saved us from sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be strong and immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. And whatever you do will never be done in vain. It will never be pointless. It will never be insignificant. It will never be a nothing if we do it with enthusiasm. Why? Because it's not what you do that makes it meaningful, but who you do it for. And everything you do, do it enthusiastically towards the Lord. And then whatever you do won't be useless. Right, let's just wrap it up there and we'll... um... (laughs) You see, where I think we get it wrong in humanity all the time is because we judge success based on what we do. The outcome of our exertion, we decide that that was successful because of what I did, or that was useless because of what I did. It's not what you did or the thing that makes the action meaningful, it's the intent of your heart towards the person you're serving that makes it meaningful. Let let me put it this way. For the last six weeks, um, as my birthday was approaching and as family was coming to visit, I had a almost daily reminder, praise God. So when you hear this, um, you'll understand what I'm saying when I get to the point. But I almost had a daily reminder because I need daily reminding. Does anybody else need daily reminding? I had a daily reminder that the house needed to be water blasted, including the concrete patio, because people were coming to the house. I, I appreciated that I got reminded daily, sometimes two to three times a day. Because how many people know, especially men in this place, that we need constant reminding of something we've been asked to do? You're all too scared to put your hand up right now because you're worried about the sharp elbows sitting beside you. And I said, I promise I will get the water blasting completed. Now, let me put in there. Spending half a day water blasting the house and the concrete patio is not right up there on my list of enthusiastical things I want to do with my life. (laughs) All you guys have been really quiet now. You're so scared. Just grow some kahunas. Man, man up today. You tell them. You turn her and say, yeah, amen. You tell her this morning. Um, I can do that because I'm up here. When I get home, I'll probably go to beating, but that's okay. And when I got out there on Wednesday, I took the day off work to do it because I was trying to wait for a day where it wasn't raining. But how many people know the last three weeks, that's an impossibility. And I'm out there and I've got all my, you know, you're going to get wet anyway from water blasting, but I'm out there and I'm water blasting and then those squalls of rain were coming through. At one stage, one was like hail and it's whacking me and hitting me and Trinity's sitting inside and she's looking out at me while I'm out there in the elements, you know, water blasting, getting those patios done, you know, standing there and doing this for two and a half hours. It's just not, not, it would be better if I was doing this for two and a half hours. 
Same, same thing, just different. Uh, and so it's not something that I wanted to do, but here's the thing. I had enthusiasm doing it because of who I was doing it for. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Now, when, when my family turned up to the house, none of them said, wow, <laughs> look at that patio. I've never seen such a well water blasted. Rima said it to me. Well water blasted patio. It's, it's like brand new concrete. Wow, we so appreciate that you spent three and a half hours water blasting the patio and the house for our visit. You know, like if you hadn't done that, our visit would suck. But because you've done that, our visit is awesome. Parenting's like that too, eh? None of us enthusiastically go, oh, yippee, a pooey bum to change. Oh, I can't wait to get that nappy off and get the wet wipes and get a little bit of it on your pinky finger and then you gotta wash. Oh, man, I'm so enthusiastic about changing dirty nappies. Oh, man, if, if I could do something full-time for the Lord, it would be that. But you do it, and you do it with enthusiasm because it's your kid and you love them. You do water blasting and you do it with enthusiasm because I'm doing it for Trinity. Because she is the only one in the family that thanked me. <laughs> I say all that to say this. It's not what you're doing. It's who you do it for. It's not what you're doing. It's who you do it for. I love that some of you probably think making coffee here at church is a mundane thing, but I love it that we have a coffee team that do it enthusiastically because they're not doing it for you. They're doing it for the Lord. Enthusiasm is in God. They're doing it in God. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically for the Lord, and whatever you do will not be in vain. When you do it enthusiastically for the Lord, it takes something from mundane to meaningful, from mundane to meaningful. There's a story in the Bible about a, a man called David, or he ended up being King David, but the thing I love about David's story is it covers his childhood as well as his adulthood. And David um, was a shepherd boy who became a king, which is a pretty cool story in itself, yeah? Go from being a farmer to being a king. It's not bad. As a kid, he was filled with entheos. He was filled with enthusiasm for the Lord. He was filled with it. But as a king, somewhere along the way, he actually lost it. And so I want to show you how he had it, and then I want to show you how he lost it, and then I want to hopefully give you some keys of if you've lost it, how you can get it back. Because David's story starts off incredibly well. It's the David and Goliath story. It's the, really the, the first big moment in David's life. David gets sent to the front lines of the war between Israel and the, and the Philistines by his dad with some snacks for his brother. And um, while he's there, Goliath comes out and challenges somebody from the armies of Israel to fight. Because the way it used to work back then is that you would get your champion and they would get their champion and they would fight and whoever won, that country was conquered. So rather than all these people dying, just one person died. I have this idea that if I start a political party, I think I'm going to put in place that what we do is if we have politicians with opposing ideas, we get them inside a cage ring and they fight and whichever one lives gets what they want. I think we could get Jacinda and even easy from Australia, in, and then we could just conquer Australia. Okay, some of you are not enthusiastic as I am about this idea. Maybe we should just get. No, 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 I'm sad. <laughs> so he's there and he comes out and challenges, and the Bible says that when Goliath comes out to challenge, that all the, all the armies of Israel turn around and run away. They're, they're scared of Goliath, and all reason to be. The guy's a giant. He's a, 
He's the warrior. He's the guy who's he's a, he's a skilled fighter. Um, but but David, the shepherd boy who just brought snacks for his brothers, he's like, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. How dare he defy the armies of the Lord? I'll fight him. His brothers are like, you little arrogant little snot. Go back and look after those sheep you're meant to be looking after, shepherd boy. But, but word gets to King Saul that David's willing to fight him because nobody else will. Saul's going, yeah, you can do it. And David goes down, and we know the story. David faced Goliath. David defeats Goliath. And Israel wins. And I want you to watch as we read from 1 Samuel. Watch the enthusiasm that David has, the in God that David has. He says here in Samuel 1 Samuel 17, it says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and the spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. I don't know about you, but if somebody was pointing a gun at me, I would like to have a gun to point back, not a name. You're coming at me with a M16, but I come against you at the name of Rimmer. And you just see the guy crumble in front of you. Because every time I hear him, his name, it brings me to my knees. <laughs> in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut your head off. And this very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army. He's not just talking about Goliath here. He's now talking about all the army that's watching on. I'm going to give all the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, this is not human confidence that's coming out here right now, yeah? This is not human confidence. This is raw unparalleled spiritual enthusiasm born out of a time with God. And so the question is, how did David get that kind of enthusiasm? Where did David get that kind of enthusiasm? Where can we get that kind of enthusiasm? Where can we get that belief? Where did this enthusiasm come from that he's standing there in front of an army of warriors and he's like, I'll do it. I can do it. What did he have going on inside him for that spiritual enthusiasm? And where do we get it? I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'd like some of that. Anybody else would like some of that? I'd like some of that. Can I give you three little things that I think that David had that enabled him to have that kind of enthusiasm? The first one is this. He trusted God daily. He trusted God daily. He walked with God daily. He worshipped God daily. Anybody see the little hint in there about the key to all of this? Daily. Daily. He trusted God daily. He walked with God daily. He worshipped God daily. How could he fight a giant? Because he trusted God daily while looking after the sheep when the bear and the lion came and God helped him. He trusted God to kill the lion and kill the bear. And so he was like, if the God that I trusted can help me in that day, then the God that I trusted can help me in this day. He could trust God in this day and the battle ahead. Why? Because he trusted God daily. He enjoyed his presence. He walked with him daily. He walked with God daily. That's why David was able to say things like this. He was the one who said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing at all. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me. He guides me. He comforts me. He's always with me. He guides me along the right path, even for his name. Sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me, and you prepare a table, a feast in front of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That doesn't come by not being in his presence, that comes by being in his presence daily. He trusted God daily, he walked with God daily, and he worshipped God daily. When the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, which is where the presence of God was, 
was housed in the Old Testament. Not now, thank goodness. But when it was coming back to David's hometown, David was king then, and he, and he comes out not fully clothed, just wearing his undies. And he's coming out, and he's having a worship party all the way from where it was to where he was taking it. In fact, every six steps he stopped and he did a sacrifice. He's just got his undies on, worshipping God. Why? Because he didn't want to do it. He wanted to show the people that I'm not here in my position as king. I'm here in my position as servant of the Lord. His wife didn't like it very much. She thought it was a little bit embarrassing because she'd just gone out the other day and brought him some Gucci slides and she wanted him to be wearing those. And he makes that famous thing. He says, if you think this is crazy, you ain't seen nothing yet. His wife was embarrassed and made fun of him, but he couldn't contain his enthusiasm for the presence of God. You've got to understand, he, it wasn't a drive across town to sit in a church service and sing some songs and listen to a message once a week. Or sit at home and click the internet. That's not where enthusiasm comes from. Enthusiasm comes from a daily, 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 daily abiding in the presence of God so that he has his enthusiasm in God. He was in God in those moments. He had two seasons, one where he had spiritual enthusiasm and one when he lost it. And if we fast forward the story of David's life, we come to another part of his life when he's king. And we don't have the text to put up there, but the text starts off in the story where he loses his spiritual enthusiasm. It starts off with this. In a time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. In a time when he should have been in a battle, David stayed at home. And when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he climbed up on a roof and saw something he wasn't meant to see, a woman showering naked on the rooftop. Now, in our day and age, we would say, hey, lady, showering naked on a rooftop not a smart idea. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you go home today and you see your neighbor up on the roof of their house showering naked, you're not going to go, you're going to go, what the is she doing? Okay, maybe you won't. In his day, this was normal. This is where they showered. And men were not meant to go up onto the roof at that time. But David was on a roof at a time when he wasn't meant to be on a roof, seeing something he never should have seen. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, and he saw something he wasn't supposed to see, and he did something he should never have done, and it cost him and a whole lot of people a cost that they never should have had to pay. It all started when he stopped spending time with God daily. And I want to show you the contrast between David as a shepherd boy and David as a king. Because as a kid with enthusiasm, David ran into battle to serve his God. But as a king with apathy, David walked out onto a rooftop to serve his comfort. As a kid... With enthusiasm, he ran into battle to serve his God. But as a king with apathy, he went up onto a rooftop and chose his comfort. How did a man who had so much spiritual enthusiasm as a kid lose it as a king? Because he took his eyes off his calling and placed it upon his comfort. I don't think you're hearing me this morning. He stopped pursuing his calling and chose his comfort. 
Instead of being on the battlefield where kings should be, he chose to be comfortable on the roof where he should never have been. And so my question for you today is this, which one represents you? Which one represents you? Are you full of entheos? Enthusiasm for the things of God? Whatever you do, it's not meaningless to you because you're doing it for him and you're doing it for others? Or do you find yourself spiritually comfortable, complacent? Which one best suits you? Are you charging into battle, knowing that your Lord is with you, that he'll never leave you and never forsake you? You've got a, you understand that you've got a divine calling on your life today and every day? Or have you drifted to spiritual complacency? Because if I'm honest with you this morning, and I'm not doing this to hurt you, I'm doing this to try and help you. If I'm honest with you this morning, my observation pastorally of most people, in my opinion, over the last two years, because of circumstances outside of us, I think that we've fallen into one of two things in the last two years. Either the last two years has pushed people into walking with God daily, trusting in God daily, depending on his presence daily, feeding on his word daily, and they're growing in this intimacy with God that maybe they've never had before, that they're sensing the call of God in their lives, that they're being directed by his presence, and there's a very, very powerful, very present in theos, enthusiasm in them, in spite of what has happened in the last two years. They have an enthusiasm of the Lord. It's in God, their enthusiasm. And I see that in some people. But tragically, there's another side, and it's another side that's based on human nature, in my opinion, from what I know about people, is we don't drift towards discipline. And things like prayer and reading your Bible and being in church and getting connected and serving and getting into a small group and all those things that we all know we need to do if we're going to be successful in this Christian life, we don't drift towards those spiritual dis disciplines naturally. We don't drift towards living healthily naturally. Trust me, I know. Look at me. We don't drift towards it. We don't turn up at, at, at a restaurant where there's an opportunity for, for you know, eyefillet steak wrapped in bacon with a red wine jus and go, you know what, I'll just have a salad. We don't drift towards that naturally as human beings. We don't. We don't drift towards good decisions all the time either, do we, if we're honest with ourselves? Well, you know what we actually drift towards? Complacency. Complacency. And I, I'll just be honest with you. Generally, I'm really good at helping Trinity around the house. But I'll tell you, I drift to complacency where I sit my fat chuff on the couch and I don't help. And she has to remind me that we're in this together. Because we drift towards complacency. We do. All of us do. We drift towards apathy. We drift towards self-centered attitudes. And unfortunately, I see in a whole lot of people now that that has now caused them to disengage from the physical presence of worship in church because I'd rather watch it at home. I'm not talking about people that can't be here for whatever reason. I'm talking about people that just choose not to be here. They start to wane. The weather gets nicer, so we go to the beach instead, and they start drifting, bad habits kick in, the good disciplines go away, and rather than being filled with the presence of God, they're filled with themselves. And eventually when you're filled with yourself, you'll start experiencing a loss of joy, because your joy can't be found in you, it can only be found in Christ. And then you'll start to question why you even exist? Because all of a sudden now, you're not in God, you're in self, and self doesn't have a purpose for you. 
Only God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And so you start to lose your purpose. You start to wonder what you're supposed to do. And what was once a vibrant, passionate calling from God has been replaced by your comfort. I told you it gets ouch. So my question is, which best represents you? In theos? Enthusiasm in God for the spiritual things? Your calling, your purpose, your passion, spiritual enthusiasm? Or does comfort and complacency best describe you? Because here's the, th- here's the deal for all of us. David had it and he lost it. I've had it and I've lost it. I've had it again and lost it again. And I've had it again and lost it again. It's a battle. David's in this moment as Maddie comes and jumps on the keys. David in this moment has lost it. David, because he gets up on the roof and he sees Bathsheba, he decides that he wants Bathsheba. She's not going to say no to the king. She doesn't have a right to do that back in those days. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Then he's like, oh, that's a bit of a problem. I know what I'll do. I'll get her husband to come home from war, and I'll get him to sleep with her, and then we can just pretend that it's his baby and not mine. But Uriah, because he's a man of integrity, when David brings him home, he goes, no, no, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. That's not fair to my men I've left on the front line. So he refuses to sleep with her. So then what David do? I don't know what to do now. I know what I'll do. I'll send him to the front line and make sure that when he's there, and I'll tell the other commanders to then withdraw and leave him all by himself so he gets murdered by the enemies, and then my problem goes away. All because he was in the wrong place. And Nathan the prophet comes along after all of this and he goes, hey, David, you have been a naughty boy. He confronts his sinfulness. And after the confrontation, David realizes that he has drifted, that he has drifted away from his calling as in theos. And he cries out to God what I think is one of the most powerful psalms in the book of the Bible. And it's in Psalm 51. And he says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He cries out, he realizes that he's drifted and he's like, restore me, renew me. Get me back to where I was. What do you do when you lose what you had? You cry out to God and you ask him to refill you, to renew you, to restore you. And then you go back to what you were doing before you drifted. Revelation 2, 4, 5 puts it this way. When he's talking to the church and he's going, you do all this really, really cool stuff. Yet this one thing I have against you, you have forsaken the love you first had. Consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far you have drifted from that first love. Repent and do the things that you did at first. You have forsaken the love you first had. Hear me when I say this, and I say this with all the love of my heart. You didn't lose your spiritual passion. You left it. He says, you forsake. In other words, you left the first love. I didn't leave you. You left me. You didn't lose your enthusiasm. You left it. You walked away from it and you stopped putting your enthusiasm in God and you started putting it in your comfort. Consider how far you have fallen. In other words, consider how far you have drifted. Consider the intimacy that you once had that you've walked away from. 
Consider the power of God that was with you and His presence that never left you, but now you have left it. Consider how far you have fallen. Take, take count. Sit down and think, man, man. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've had to do that several times this year. I found this year way, way harder than the last two years. And I've had to sit and consider, whoa, hold on a sec. What have you stopped doing that you have drifted this far, Craig? Consider how far you've fallen. And then Jesus says something that makes it really easy for us. Just repent. Repent, change direction, change the way you think, and do the things you did at first. Do the stuff you did when you were deeply in love with me. Do that. Do them again. What do you do? You walk in His presence daily. You trust in His goodness daily. You worship Him daily, not out of duty, but out of delight for what He has done for you. Thanks be to God who delivered me from sin and death and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Like I said, there's two kinds of people in this world. There are those who let circumstances, fear, panic, anxiety influence their posture, their heart, their spiritual temperature. And then there are those that let their enthusiasm born out of a very real, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus out of the presence of God, influence their environment, dictate the moods of those around them, not let those around them dictate their mood, but they dictate the moods of those around them and build the faith of those around them because they draw on the enthusiasm in God that's in them instead of the surroundings around them. Two types of people, those that walk with God and grow with God and trust God and He empowers them with spiritual enthusiasm and then there are those who don't lose it, they leave it. They walk away from it. And if you feel like you've lost your spiritual enthusiasm, please understand, I understand. People look at me and go, well, you're a pastor so you always have it. No, I don't. I find it hard to keep it. When I look around and I, and I think about the stuff that's going on in people's worlds, I find it hard to keep my enthusiasm for the things of the Lord. My answer is, how do you keep it? Well, I don't always. I don't. It's actually not natural. It's something you have to work towards. I have bad days, often. There are times I'm under attack. There are times my faith comes under attack. There are times my mindset comes under attack. There are times my mood comes under attack. And if you don't believe me, just ask my family. So what do I do? You know what I do when I know that I'm like that? I find some time and space alone. And I think back to a youth camp when I was 18 years of age, where I had a real encounter with Jesus that transformed my life and shifted me from somebody who wasn't really interested in doing anything in ministry to somebody that that became my passion. I think back to it and then I start to think about what were the things I was doing then? Trinity will tell you there's times where we were meant to meet up for a date and I got lost in prayer in my room and my sleep out and I didn't turn up because I got lost in prayer for three or four hours. I don't get lost in prayer for three or four hours now. I'm just being honest with you. So I think and I go back to those things, those things that I did do. And I start to do the things that I did then, those things that I did first. I spend time with Him. I let His Word strengthen my soul. I correct my sin. And I encourage myself out of discouragement. Build my faith. I worship Him, not just for what I see, but for who He is. Every time I'm in the car, I don't listen to anything but worship music. If some of you are traveling a long way for work, don't listen to the radio. Listen to worship. Listen to the Word. Be wise with your time. Then whatever I do, once I'm in that place, it doesn't matter what I do, 
doesn't matter how mundane it is. It doesn't matter how boring it is. Trust me, doing accounts and stuff like that for the church doesn't get me excited. But whatever I do, when I come from that place, I do it with enthusiasm, with all of my heart, not because of what I'm doing, but for who I'm doing it for. And it transforms something mundane into something meaningful. So whether you're serving and nobody sees, or you're singing and everybody knows, do it for God. But more importantly, do it from God. Do it from enthusiasm, in Theos, in God. Do it from in Him. Because we are not called to live from the outside in. We are called to live from the inside out. The light that is in you is so bright, the Bible says, that no darkness can overcome it. And my prayer would be that we would become a church full of people with enthusiasm and in God, not a product of our environment, but a posture of our heart, ready to let the presence of God penetrate the world around us, not letting those things that are happening around us to determine us, but letting what God is doing in us to determine the things around us. You can get your enthusiasm back. You can get your spiritual passion back the same way as David did and the same way that people have been doing it for generations by coming to God and saying, you know what, God? Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Repent and get back to the things you did at first. And God will transform your life and you will have enthusiasm. You'll be in theos in everything that you do. Don't let those things around you control your mood. Let the posture of your heart control the things around you. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment. I don't know everybody in this room and I don't want to belittle anything that you have gone through and I don't want to belittle the last two years and what you've suffered. Some people have suffered majorly around emotional health and all that sort of stuff. I went through that too. I had to go and see a counsellor earlier this year and, and get my emotional health sorted out. I'm not belittling it in any way, so please don't think that I am. But just seeing a counsellor wasn't enough. I had to pray some prayers and repent of some things and, and get back to those things that of when I first loved him. Daily in his word, daily in prayer, daily in worship, daily trusting him, daily, 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 daily. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I think I've drifted. Friend, we all drift. You're not alone. It's one of the lies that the enemy does is he says, you're the only person that's going through this right now. It's not true. The fact that church worldwide has dropped in 40% attendance since COVID says to me that we are not alone in this. Spiritual enthusiasm is lost across this planet. But we've got to get back to being in theos, in God, in enthusiasm. Because we don't live for the here and now, we live for the eternity. We live for Him. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I think I've drifted, and would you pray 
that God would renew my spirit, that God would restore back to me the joy of my salvation, that, that God would help me to get back to the things I originally did. I want to get my spiritual enthusiasm back. I want to get that passion back. I want to, everything I do, I want to do it enthusiastically for the Lord. If that's you and you're like, Craig, would you pray for me this morning that God would do a work in me to help that happen? Why don't you lift your hand right now and, uh, when I, and just put them right up high. Anybody else like that? You're just like, man, I need my spiritual enthusiasm restored. Come on, is there anybody else like that? I, I normally would call it off now, but I just sense there's more. Come on, is there anybody else? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you, you won't live a life of purpose until you're living it in theos, in enthusiasm, in God. You'll struggle, you'll struggle to find your purpose, you'll struggle to find joy because it's only found in God, in theos. Father, you see, every single hand that is lifted in this place. They're not bad people. They're not naughty people. They're just people that have drifted, struggled, maybe allowed some things around them to get on top of them. We all do that. But God, they're putting their hand up right now saying, hey, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me created me a pure heart. They're coming, they're repenting, and they're saying, God, I want to get back to the things I used to do. Father, I pray right now that you break off their lives, anything that they've connected themselves to that's going to hinder them making that transformation, repenting and turning in a different direction. Father, we pray right now that you break those things off. Lord, that the bad habits would drop off, that the spiritual disciplines would be restored and come back. And it it wouldn't be hard, but it would sense your presence and sense your power and sense your love and sense your goodness. And it would be easy for them as they get back onto what they always did. And from that, God, let there be an enthusiasm in God that comes to everything they do. And let it not just be for them, but let all those around them recognize it and say, there's something different about you. There's something going on with you. Why are you so happy when all this is going on? And they'll be able to share their testimony of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God so we can see people transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and that they can be in God also. So restore to them, God. Renew them again. Refill them again. Let that spiritual passion come back in a way that they've never experienced it before as they take the steps like David to trust you daily, to worship you daily, and to walk with you daily. Solidify that in their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.